Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Oh, Father God, you are so good. You're so gracious. You're so loving. And your steadfast love endures forever. Jesus, we thank you for your life. We thank you that you would allow yourself to be submitted under the, the wicked and evil will of humanity, to be mocked, falsely accused, beaten, murdered, so that you could usher in many sons and daughters into glory. It's by you alone that we have faith. It's through your grace alone. And we worship you, we praise you. To you alone are due all honor and glory. Jesus, you are our strength. You are our hope and our salvation. Lord, we ask that you would turn our hearts towards you this morning and every morning that you would help us to reflect you more and more as we grow in the knowledge of you. I pray for this congregation that they would grow continually in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the gospel. That we would live out the gospel. That we would live as a kingdom of priests. That we would speak truth and love to all of those around us and proclaim your excellencies. Lord, I want to thank you for this past month and all of the youth camps that had gone on. Lord, you have turned so many young hearts towards you in salvation. It's so amazing to see how you're moving and raising up generation after generation. But God, would you be with us as the church to, to bring them in, to, to help disciple them, to see them as family, that they are the body of Christ. Help us to live out as an example before them, to include them into everything that we do, to point them constantly to you. Lord, we pray for Mike and Drina Barnes as they minister to your people across the globe. We ask that you would give them endurance to continue raising up Christian leaders and pastors to minister to those in, in predominantly Muslim countries. Lord, give them wisdom in how to uh, proclaim the gospel and how to disciple these men that are um, pastoring in very harsh areas of the world. Give them boldness. Give them faith, endurance, Lord. Break down any barriers and raise up a people in a godless nation. Father, we ask for your mercy on those who are dealing with sickness in our congregation, that you would grant them healing or endurance. Lord, we ask that you would draw them closer to you. We know that the suffering of this body reminds us of the suffering of Christ, but it also reminds us of the glorious future that we have with you, where there's no more pain and sorrow. And we thank you for that, Lord. 
We pray for those who have to make difficult decisions. There are many different decisions that need to be made. Grant wisdom as you say you will in your word, Lord. Lord, as we turn to your word now, as we look at the trial of Jesus, would you open our minds to what it is you want us to see and apply to our lives? I pray that we don't just look at this and say, oh, this is such a familiar story. I can kind of tune out today. Lord, your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's powerful. We can never come to it and turn away without receiving something. It's supernatural. So speak to us, Lord. We believe that you will. We thank you that we will. Expose sin in our lives. Grant us strength by your spirit to kill that sin. Draw us close to you, Lord. Lord, give me clarity of mind and boldness. Help, Word, I need you every hour. I need your help. I need your help to speak to your people. This is your flock, Lord. Thank you for how you will change them today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. While they're leaving, uh, go ahead and turn, if you are not there already, to Luke 23. We'll be in verses 1 through 25, as Randy read for us earlier. If you don't have a Bible, as I say every week, there's one around you. I want you in there with me. I want you looking at the text. Have you ever noticed that when um, you want a situation to, to go your way, when you want um, a certain outcome, you desire a certain outcome or, or something in your life to go this way or that way, you have a tendency to tweak words and statements and, and actions uh, to that end. You don't have to nod. I know you do. <laughs> I remember talking Nikki into agreeing with me that I needed this $300 pair of um, noise-canceling headphones while we were in seminary, which means we didn't have $300 to spend on headphones. Um, and I, I was like, you know how loud our boys are. I, you know I need these. And you know uh, I could study more at home if I have this certain thing. And, and it wasn't, I wasn't trying to deceive her, but I had, I'd set my mind on I need these things. And what I said and the way I talked about them, um, I kind of, I probably didn't think clearly through what I was saying. But I wanted to sway her into agreeing, agreeing with me to buy something that I didn't necessarily need the human heart is that way. Um, that's a very minimal uh, example. But when we set our eyes on something, when we want something, a lot of times we tweak words, and a lot of times that includes half-truths or um, lies even, or distortions, or uh, even swaying others to side with you. Like you gather people around you, like this is a good idea, right? Let's go talk to this other person and convince them that this is a good idea, and that's what's going on in our text today. The Jewish leaders despised Jesus. 
They despised him, all that he did, all that he said, and they wanted to get rid of him. So they scheme to have him betrayed. They have him arrested under the cover of night. They have a trial that is really shady and ultimately crucify him under false pretenses. But in God's glorious sovereignty, we see that the innocent Son of God places himself under the will of humanity so that he can accomplish the will of God. So this morning we're going to look at the distortion of humanity, or the distortion of the will of humanity, the submission of Jesus, and then we're going to ask the question, to whom will you submit? So first, let's look at the distortion or the distorted will of humanity. I want you to notice um, the distorted wills first of the Jews. They wanted Jesus dead. We've, we've been in Luke just for a few weeks now. Um, we see, we know very well that Jesus has challenged the Jewish leaders from the very beginning. He's challenged their leadership. You're not leading like you should be leading. He's challenged their teaching. You're not teaching the word of God the way you should. He's challenged their faithfulness. The way and the reason you're doing certain things is because you like people to notice you. He challenged how they used money or kept money. He challenged their pride. He challenged the way they prayed and so on and so on. He, he calls them whitewashed tombs and hypocrites and worse than the Samaritans and ignorant of the scriptures. And they hated him for it. They hated Jesus of Nazareth. So much so that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians, and, and if you know anything about um, Old Testament or New Testament history, they hated each other. But they came together in this, this common goal that we hate Jesus more than each other. So let's come together, come up with a plan, and get this man out of here. Let's kill him. Let's have him killed because we can't kill him. That would be wrong, right? So to accomplish this, they need the help of the Romans, because they're under Roman rule. They're, they're not only enemies of Rome, but they are being ruled over by Rome. And they cannot execute anyone because they're under Roman rule and under Roman law. And they don't have the freedom to execute Jesus. So what they need to do is get Rome to agree that Jesus needs to die. So they come up with a plan to manipulate Pilate to do their will. And the problem is, they don't really have a charge against Jesus that, that uh, necessitates execution. They don't have something that Rome is going to say, oh yeah, of course, let's kill him. And they were all on board with crucifixion. They had no problem crucifying people. Nero, later on, down the road, will um, crucify people and tar them and light them on fire just to to have his road and his gardens lit up. So they didn't have a problem with crucifixion. But they didn't see a need for Jesus to be crucified. But they knew Pilate 
doesn't want this uprising. He doesn't want an insurrection. He doesn't want us to um, create this issue. So they start to bear false witness about Jesus. So look at the text, verses 1 and 2. Then the whole company of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. They claim that Jesus is misleading the Jewish nation, which is a false claim because he was pushing them back to faithfulness toward the word of God. They claim that Jesus says, don't tithe or don't give money or don't uh, pay taxes to Caesar, which is also a false. The only charge that was true of Jesus is he was king of the Jews. And Pilate could care less who the king of the Jews were, but they presented in such a way that he, they packaged it so that they were saying, this man is going to cause you trouble. You don't want him as king of the Jews. And they go so far as to compromise and have this man Barabbas released, who was a murderer and created um, riots in Jerusalem. And you can see how powerful our wills are, how distorted our wills are, how they drive us at times to say and do whatever it takes as long as we can accomplish our goal. But you see, in an attempt to uphold the letter of the law, the Sadducees and the Pharisees miss the Lord of the law. That's right before them. They deny Jesus as the Messiah. They reject him as king over the Jews. Just as Stephen proclaims in Acts 7 before this, uh, the Sanhedrin, he says, you stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels did not keep it. He says, you had the law and you didn't keep it. You betrayed the very son of God, the righteous one. And too often the people of God use scripture to back up their own desire rather than allowing scripture to shape who they are. If the Sanhedrin, these men of God, the lawyers, the scribes, the elders of Jerusalem would have heard the word if they would have listened to what Jesus was saying, instead of using the word to condemn him, they would have recognized the Messiah. They would have seen him as the Messiah, as the one fulfilling all of these things in the very word they, announced, they said that they believed. But they don't. Instead, they take on the role of the evil one. I want you to look with me at verse 23. But they, this is the whole crowd, elders, scribes, the Jews there in Jerusalem were urgent, demanding with loud cries that Jesus should be crucified and their voices prevailed. Now I want you to flip back, or in my Bible, flip back to 22 verse 31. 
And I want you to see this connection. The crowds are demanding that Jesus be crucified. Verse 20, chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Jesus is talking to Simon. Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. You see, the Jews in this instance had become the antagonists. They had become the ones demanding that Jesus be crucified. They had been fulfilling the, the will of Satan, the same thing he wanted to do with Simon, except Jesus allows himself to be overtaken by their will. And we see this all throughout our text in verse five in chapter 23. They were urgent, saying he stirs up people, teaching throughout all Judea and from Galilee, even to this place. In verse 10, the chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. Verse 18, they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Verse 23, they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. Verse 25, at the end, Pilate delivered Jesus over to their will. So we see how they had become influenced by evil. You see, the ones who are supposed to be pointing the nations to God, the ones who are supposed to be pointing the nations to the Messiah when he came, they become the ones who point the nations away from him. They go to the nations, to Rome, and they point him away from Jesus Christ instead of toward him. And I'm afraid many Christians do this. We get so wrapped up in self-righteousness that we turn others away from Jesus instead of toward Jesus. We get so wrapped up in saying you should look this way that we forget to point them to the cross. But Jesus, he submits himself under their will, under their wicked will to accomplish the perfect will of God the Father. He dies as an innocent sacrifice for broken humanity. We also see the distorted will of Pilate. We think maybe Pilate got caught up in something he shouldn't. He was terrible. History shows he was a terrible guy. He had no problem crucifying and persecuting. And he's so worried about his personal and political position that when we get to verse three, he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers him, you have said so. Because he wants to know, if there's a new power rising up in Jerusalem, in my house, I'm gonna nip it in the bud because you're not going to start something under my rule. John gives us a little uh, more in-depth conversation between Jesus and Pilate. He, he says, um, and Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate says, okay, sweet. The moment he sees that Jesus is not going to clash, his will is not going to clash with Pilate's will, the moment that he sees that it's not going to be a problem for him, it's not going to um, butt heads with his political or personal aspirations, he says, I find no guilt in this man. He has no, there's no reason for me to kill him. He even tries to pass him off to Herod. I love this give and take between these two leaders here. 
And Herod finds nothing wrong with Jesus either. He sends him back to Pilate. But then you see Pilate's will rise to the top when, when the crowds start to demand, no, crucify him, crucify him. And their voices prevail. And he gives in to what they want because he doesn't want their issue to mess with him. He didn't care for his position where he was, but he didn't want Caesar to send him somewhere else. So he wanted to satisfy the masses. And we see the innocent son of God placing himself under the the wicked will of man to accomplish the perfect will of God. But I find what Pilate, his position, um, is just as dangerous as the position of the Jewish leaders. Pilate comes face to face with the king of kings. He sees that Jesus is not a danger to take his position, that Jesus doesn't want to become um, ruler over Rome or over Jerusalem, so he shrugs him off. But I would ask you this morning, have you shrugged Jesus off? Have you encountered Jesus in the word of God and thought, oh well, he has no rule over me? Do you come to the word and and fail to see Jesus' lordship over your own life? Do you fail to bow down to the one true king, to obey his word? If so, if you fail to do so, your will is just as twisted as Pilate's thinking Jesus might be someone's king, but he's not yours. He's not ruling over your life. He might be a king over some fanatical Christian, but not mine. He might want those other Christians to go and preach the word, but not me. We also see the distorted will of humanity in, in Herod, another terrible guy. We see in verse 8 and 9, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. For he had long long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he hoped to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer and he was done with him. Herod didn't see Jesus as a threat at all. He'd heard the stories. He didn't see him as a king or messiah He just saw him as entertainment. He's like, yes, the magic man is coming. I'm going to see some magic today. I'm going to see some healing. I'm going to see some uh, walking on water, water into wine, something. I'm going to see something. I'm afraid too many in the world and in the church fall more in line with Herod than with any other in the story. They attend church, they listen to Christian music, they read Christian novels, um, not because they necessarily love Jesus, not because they see him as king or lord over their life, but because he's entertaining. It's a great story. The Bible, it's one of the best books ever written. It is fantastic. And the way you know this is how you respond to him is if you find yourself surrounded by tons of Christian stuff and friends and, and paraphernalia, not paraphernalia, that'd probably be wrong. Um, whatever the word is. Thank you, merchandise. But your life doesn't look any different. Your heart is not submissive. 
Your love is not for Christ. You see, Jesus more is a jester than Jehovah. If you find yourself only being, I'm only willing to attend church, but I don't want it to attend my life. I don't want it to show me what to, I don't want it to change anything about what I do. I don't want to advance the kingdom of God. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to want to go and then leave and go home. I just want to be entertained. If that's you, you align more with Herod's will than with Christ's, and you need this morning to repent and turn to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me. I have used you. I have cheapened the cross. I've cheapened your trial. I've cheapened your, your miracles and, and your life. Change my heart and use me for the kingdom. I'm scared. I don't know what that looks like. But he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And we know this is Herod's heart because he doesn't, he doesn't deal with Jesus. He passes him back to Pilate. He, he says, Jesus has nothing for me. I have no use for him. You can have him. So many fall into this. They treat Jesus like a genie. He has nothing for me. I'll go do something else. Now those who reject Jesus will always find comfort together. I struggled with this verse, verse 12. It says, and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day for before this they had been at enmity with each other and who cares? Um, But it shows. Luke cared. And he shows that... um, we're always going to find comfort in others who agree with us, agree with our will, agree with, with what we think, have the same kind of mindset. Herod and Pilate, they, they come together over this will that they, they're going to um, please the masses. Paul says this will be the same later in, in the church, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, will have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passion and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Listen, you can always find someone to agree with you. And if no one does, just Google your opinion and you'll find someone. It doesn't mean you're, you're right, though. Just because someone agrees with you it, it ensures that you have people in your life that agree with you, that's all. But you need to ensure that you have people in your life that are going to push you to the will of God. We also see the distortion of the humanity's will in the crowd. They get caught up in the screaming and, and proclaiming of Jesus' crucifixion. This is the same crowd that cries, Hosanna. And then you see the masses sway and they say, crucify him. I think we need to ask ourselves, am I caught up in the crowd? Or am I allowing the word to speak to my heart? And since our will is imperfect, we see this in our own lives. We, we, see the, the, we find the need to lie and deceive and compromise to get our own ways. Our will is twisted. It's sinful. That's why we need the word. That's why we need God to tell us his will. We need his will to replace our will. We certainly see this in the political realm. 
with half-truths and empty promises. We see this in media more in the last two years than we've ever seen it before, how the narrative gets twisted and distorted. We see it in our own lives. Our distorted will leads us to misuse people, to mistreat people, to put people down, to reduce the importance of people, to group them so that we don't have to deal with individuals. Our distorted will leads us to miss God's will that's right in front of us. We become too busy. We become too important to listen to God's word. We, we prioritize our desires over the Lord's desires. And church and discipleship starts to fall away because I got some stuff to accomplish. And we end up being led astray. That's why we desperately need Jesus. We need his faithfulness. So we need the perfect submission of Christ. Jesus knew the will of the Father. He, his will was one with the Father. He trusted the Father. He knew it was good and perfect. He doesn't submit to his own will. We saw that last week in the garden. He says, your will be done. Even though I don't want to do that, my flesh is crying out, I don't want to die, but your will be done. Jesus doesn't submit to the will of others. He remains silent. The only thing he agrees with is the truth in this trial. Are you the king of the Jews? Yes. And then he's quiet the rest of the time. He doesn't recant. He doesn't say, okay, I was just kidding. No, I'm not really the son of God. No, I'm not really the Messiah. No, I'm not really the king of the Jews. He doesn't submit to the crowd's demands. Isaiah tells us he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He allowed the chief priests and the scribes to accuse him, the soldiers to treat him with contempt, to mock him, to put on splendid clothing and be sent back to Pilate to make fun of him. Not one word. He didn't need to fight back. He knew who he was. He's completely resolved to follow the will of the Father. Because he knows the only way to repair this brokenness is to die for them. So the innocent Son of God places himself under the will of mankind to accomplish the will of God because he loved so much. Jesus knew who he was. He didn't need man's approval. He knew he was the son of man come to suffer and die for broken humanity. He knew he was the son of God, uh, eternally loved by the Father. He knew he was the Messiah come to save the world. We saw that in Luke 4, 18 and 19. I don't have it up there, but it's, it's in there. He knew he was the Lord come to rule and reign forever. Verse 3, are you the king of the Jews? Yeah, you have said so. He'd come to fulfill 2 Samuel 7. Because Jesus knew who he was, he could place himself under man's will. 
He could say, this is your hour. He could place himself even under the will of Satan. This is the power of darkness. He allows everything to be poured out on him so that he could be victorious. And get this. Jesus knew, because he knew who he was, he could trade places with a murderer. Verse 18, they cried out together, away with this man, release to us Barabbas. A man who was thrown into prison for insurrection started in the city and for murder. The cross that Jesus was about to be on was not just laying in a heat pile. It was already there for Barabbas. He did something that deserved death. His murder, they were going to kill him. He was headed to the cross and Jesus allows himself to step in Barabbas' place, to take his cross and die on it for one who deserved death. The innocent son of God places himself under the wicked will of mankind to accomplish the will of God, to die in the place of sinners. Do you realize the cross that Jesus Christ died on was meant for you? Like You were on death row. You were dead in your sin. You were dead in your trespasses. You deserved eternal punishment. But when Pilate's gavel in court comes down and says guilty on Jesus, God's gavel comes down and says innocent for those who believe in him. So the question remains, whose will are you going to submit to? To whom will you submit? Are you going to submit to your own will? You've determined your path in life. You think this is the way it should look and that's the way I'm going to go. Are you so wrapped up in your plans that there's no room to hear what God has to say for you? Have you convinced yourself that you're in God's will and even backed it up with scripture like the Jews did for his crucifixion? But it failed to actually listen to God speaking to you. I could heap up verse upon verse, and justify something that's not godly. There's a great shirt that everyone should get. I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Some ways you know that you're following your own will, it does not align with Scripture. The religious leaders, if Jesus really wasn't God, they had every right to have him stoned, okay? I could back that up, Old Testament. But they have to tweak the law at every turn to make that happen. So it, it doesn't align with Scripture what they're trying to do. If you and your life are doing something that doesn't align with Scripture, you could say, Jesus told me to do this, and that could be completely false if it does not align with Scripture. So ask yourself, does it align with the Word of God? Or am I having to tweak it to make it work? God's word doesn't need to be tweaked. Another way you know is you're not going to godly friends or you're not going to God to ask him about your will. Because you know they'll probably lead me in the opposite direction. You find yourself frustrated 
or angry when things don't work out your way. That is trying to force your will into something that's not going to work. Or do you use people to get what you want? These are ways that we know that we're following our own will. There's many more, just a few. Are you going to submit to the will of others is the next question, like Pilate does with the crowds. They just roar and he says, fine. Three times he says Jesus is innocent. Three times. But gives over to the crowd. Because he doesn't want to anger the crowds. Are you more worried about what the crowd thinks than what God thinks? Pilate's wife even told him, don't do this. Fool. Didn't listen to his wife. Are you more worried about your position at work or among your friends than your profession of faith. Paul writes in Galatians, for I am now seeking, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Are you going to submit to God's will? Do you even know how to determine God's will? Paul says in Romans 12 too, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, by testing with the word. Renewal of your mind. Allow the word of God to transform your mind so that you know the will of God. Allow the spirit of God to fill your heart so that you know the will of God. Allow your friends, godly friends, to point you to the word and to the Lord so that you know the will of God. Jesus submitted himself to the broken will of man to accomplish the will of God and in doing so opens up the opportunity for us to do the same thing. By his wounds, we are healed from the corrupted and broken will and given the mind of Christ through the Spirit of God. If you will, turn with me real quick to 1 Peter. This is the sermon part two. No, I'm just kidding. I just want to read this passage. It lines up well. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 19 suffering unjustly. This is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is, great, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For, this is, for uh, to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed." For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd 
an overseer of your souls. You can suffer under the twisted and broken will of others because you know that they are under an evil influence. Jesus knew while he was going to the cross that they are under the influence of Satan, under the influence of sin. We know that. We don't have to lash out against that. We can hit our knees and pray for deliverance. You can suffer under the twisted and broken will of others because Jesus did it first. Because you know who you are in Christ. Because you know the will of God in your life is to sanctify you, to use every moment for your good to make you look like Christ. So the innocent son of God places himself under the will of mankind to accomplish the will of God. Jesus Christ, the son of God, places himself under our broken will to save us. He took the cross that we deserved to save us. Do you believe that? Because if you do believe that, now is the time for you to place yourself under the will of God so that through him, he accomplishes through you the advancement of his kingdom. Too often we follow our own wills and we miss what God desires for us. So I would say turn to Jesus this morning and every morning and give your life over to his will. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are so good and so gracious and so patient with us. Jesus, we look at this story and we often see the trial, but we fail to see how twisted our own will is. How we would be like the Jewish nation, how we would be like Pilate, like Herod, like Barabbas. But you went to the cross, you died to change that wicked, broken, hard heart into one that looks like yours, who would submit yourself to the will of God and love others so much that you would die for us. God, would that be our heartbeat? Would we be a people after your own heart? Thank you how you will change us into your likeness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.